um, been through a lot of prophecy uh, in the course of my ministry here. And by the way, I have to tell you this. Um, I only preached through one prophetic book before becoming a pastor of this church. That was Isaiah. Uh, I think I did that in Sunday school, actually. I don't think I preached that in church. Maybe I did. Was it Sunday nights? Maybe it was a Sunday night services. Um, here uh, in the last, how old are we? <laughs> 14 years? 14 years? 98. My wife says no. Yes, 98. 14 years. Um, I have preached through, I believe, every prophetic book of the Bible. Except Jeremiah. And between Sunday school and church and evening services, maybe not Isaiah, because I did that before. I don't think Isaiah and Jeremiah. Um, but at this point, I believe in my ministry, I've gone through every prophetic book save Jeremiah. But here we have gone through Daniel. We've gone through all of the minor prophets. We've gone through First and Second Thessalonians. We've gone through Matthew and um, Luke. We have gone through Revelation. We have tackled most all of the prophetic books. In Sunday school, we did Ezekiel, one quarter. And so what I want to do on this series, uh, since we've just finished up all the, prophet, all the minor prophets, is I'm going to do something which is very, very rare for me. And that is I'm going to do a topical study rather than a verse by verse. Yeah, I know it's shocking. I meant to have Epsom salts, not Epsom salts, smelling salts here. <laughs> you probably need Epsom salts too, but smelling salts here tonight to help you. I'm going to do a topical series, and that is the prophetic signs that the church is to look for at the end of its age. And this is going to draw from this great well of study that you have been exposed to if you've been here for the last 14 years, going all the way back to about 1999 when we did a study in Matthew 24, uh, the... the uh, prophetic message of Christ. And that really launched that for me um, in my preaching uh, interests, we'll put it like that, uh, because frankly, up until that time, I largely avoided prophecy. And uh, God certainly has changed that in my heart and mind. Um, and you all have received the benefit of that. So what we're going to do is for the next two or three months, three months, I think, um, is we're going to go through the biblical statements of prophetic statements from the Old and New Testament that we are seeing either having been completed or in the process of being completed in the church age and at its close. And then we'll also look at some that we should anticipate to be occurring while in the church age. And that might sound very strange because we do believe in imminent return of Christ. That is, that it could be at any moment. Um, and many have taken that, well, there's no prophecy that we should be looking for now except for Christ's return. That's the next prophetic event. But that really isn't what the Bible shares. And all prophetic teachers, I think, know that in their hearts. 
Um, that was not the case in the first century. It wasn't the case for the new uh, church that the first thing they were supposed to expect prophetically um, one week after Pentecost was Christ's return. They obviously should have been looking for the destruction of Jerusalem because it was prophesied by Jesus that it would happen. It happened about uh, 25, 30 years after the birth of the church, uh, 769, 68 to 70 B.C., B.C., A.D., um, and so we know that there was prophecy to be fulfilled during the church age. The question is, is it still the case? And we're going to be looking at it very in a very organized fashion. Just because it's topical doesn't mean I'm going to go randomly all over the place. But it might seem like that as we go through Scripture, because we're going to be, while we're going to spend a lot of time in one chapter of Scripture, maybe as our launching off point to do some exposition there, um, each night, we're going to be having to look at several passages together. And um, I want to start this series off by explaining how we're going to do this. Um, I'm not going to try to put meaning into the text and try to look around and read my newspaper Sunday morning and try to force Scripture to fit the headlines Sunday night. Um, too many others are doing that, and that's error. Uh, and that's not how prophecy works. Uh, prophecy works on a different scale and it works um, uh, in a manner that draws his people to obedience, draws the world to repentance, and that is the point of prophecy. And so it isn't, uh, is this the day that Jesus is going to return? That's not our purpose. Our purpose rather is, um, how near are we to that day? What is the evidence that that day is upon us and is truly at any time? Uh, what other things should we expect as we draw near to the day of Christ's return? And how should we be prepared both in our spiritual life, uh, particularly, but in our relationships in terms of the gospel with people? And how do I function in society um, as we draw near? What should I expect from that? We're going to break this up into many categories. We're going to start off with uh, several weeks on Israel. Um, we have to start there because prophecy is primarily concerned about the nation of Israel. And uh, that to you might say, well, of course. And the fact that you are in your mind saying, well, of course, is itself a wonder. Because one generation ago, no preacher could get up there and say that without people going, what are you talking about? Why? Because there was no such country called Israel one generation ago. 70 years. Um, 1948, Israel becomes a nation again and uh, shows up on the globe uh, of most maps, unless you're in Saudi Arabia, it's not on the map still. Um, But it's here. And the fact that you even think, oh yeah, of course, we've got to talk about Israel, uh, is unique to your generation from every other generation of the church going back to the first one. The first one there wasn't really a nation Israel. There was a province under uh, the Roman Empire, um, but there wasn't really a national identity. They still had Jerusalem, though. They were still doing that. And they really still had kind of a presence there up to about 100, uh, 135 A.D. It was when they finally, the Romans just said, enough, you guys are too ornery, and we're going to just not even let you have any existence there and shipped them all out. Um, but ever since then, until this generation, there was no Israel to talk about. There were a dispersion. There was a scattered people. 
And that's what we're going to come to prophecy looking uh, at. And so we're going to start there. We're going to also move into, and we're going to, we have several categories there, three nights at least, to talk about God's, what does God promise about Israel that should happen before he returns? And if that happens before he returns, we should expect it to happen while we are still here looking for Christ's return. We're also going to look at biblical, biblical prophetic statements regarding uh, the Gentiles. What is God doing among the nations? And then we are also going to look about God's uh, work in his people, the church. What should we expect? Uh, and then, of course, with regard to sin. What should we expect? What is the world going to be like in those days? And uh, we're going to look at those uh, and so we're really looking at things that have occurred really within the last hundred years or less. In other words, if the day of the Lord's return is upon us, um, these things should all be in place easily without having to bend and twist ourselves and tie ourselves up into weird interpretive knots with God's word we should be able to easily identify them and say, well, of course, we have hit upon them through our study and we are simply categorizing them and expanding them in this series. So let's begin tonight by talking about Israel. Um, Let's go start off in Daniel chapter 9. And we're not going to spend much time there. This is kind of just an introductory verse for us. Daniel chapter 9, verse 26 I'm sorry, verse 24, we're going to start at 24. Seventy weeks, it says, are determined for your people and for your holy city. That city being Jerusalem, that people being Israel. Daniel's people, who are Israel. Seventy weeks, and the weeks each represented uh, years. And so we have 490 years, that is seven times 70. Um, seven weeks being seven years. And so we have this statement It says, what's 70 weeks are determined for your people and for your holy city? To finish the transgression, that is Israel's sin, to make end of sins, to make reconciliation for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy, that is to finish it. When is vision and prophecy fulfilled? When is it over? Okay? And to anoint the most holy. Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the command to restore and build Jerusalem until Messiah the prince, there shall be seven weeks and 62 weeks. That's a total of 69. So out of the 70 weeks that God has a plan for Israel, 69 of them are going to occur between the command to rebuild the temple, which happened, and until Jesus Christ arrives on the scene. And that's 70 weeks. And so there's, until the Messiah, the prince, There's going to be 69 of the 70 weeks are going to be filled up in there. The street shall be built again and the wall even in troublesome times. And we know what kinds of times Israel, Jerusalem was rebuilt under Herod. Um, It was troublesome under that reign of Rome. Um, And it it stretches back beyond that. It it was finished then under the reign of Rome. It really stretches back into the Greek period and even in the Persian period. Uh, But Israel's under duress. The abomination caused desolation. Uh, Antiochus Epiphanes violates that temple 
uh, desecrates it. It has to be repurified by the Maccabean revolt. And that's celebrated during Hanukkah. That that's what the Jews are celebrating is the purification of the temple from that. So in Daniel's time, that hadn't been done. Uh, and so here's Daniel, Old Testament guy, giving a specific timeline. 69 sevens, seven years, times 69. So we know that to be how many years? 483. So you can start your clock. And isn't that great when prophecy gives you a stopwatch? Click, there you go. So between the beginning of the temple and the Messiah coming, um, his first coming was this, many, this much time and there's going to be some trouble there. Uh, after 62 weeks, the Messiah will be cut up and out for himself. And for the people, the prince of come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. The end of it shall be with a flood. And so that's the end. And so there it is. And so till the end of, till the end of the war and desolations are determined, then he shall confirm a covenant with many for one week. So we have the Messiah being cut off. And then there's the people of the prince who is to come are going to destroy the city and the sanctuary happened. 70 A.D., that occurred. So all this is history, even ancient history. But then there's this interruption. It says, till the end, there's a parenthesis. You live in that parenthesis. Till the end, war and desolations are determined. And so there's going to be war and desolations and that Jesus Christ himself in Matthew 24 described that it's the parenthetical period called the church age. And to Daniel, it was presented that there's going to be wars all over the place. There's going to be desolation. Jesus describes them as famines and pestilence and all this stuff is going to happen in this period of time between Christ and the destruction of, of Jerusalem till his second coming. And But this prince is there. There's a prince that's going to rise up, and we're going to talk about him quite a bit down the road, and that he's going to arrive up and have a covenant with many for one week, and here's your last week, your last seven years. So you have this pause button hit, and we live in that pause, and it's within that pause that certain things have to happen before verse 27 can occur. There has to be a people called Israel for the man of sin to make a covenant with them. It says he's going to make a covenant with them. He's going to break the covenant, but he's going to make a covenant with them. Well, if they don't exist, he can't make a covenant with them. So prior to this arrival of this man of sin, there should be a people called Israel. And of course, that wasn't the case. It hasn't been the case for, what, over 1,900 years. That wasn't the case. Almost 1,800 years. That wasn't the case. Almost 18, about 1,800 and some years between 135 between 70, let's say, and 1948. You have all those years, no Israel to make a covenant with, let alone breaking it. And so what's going to happen? What is the prophetic message to Israel in this time period of wars and desolations that we call the church age? Well, let's look at them. Let's turn our Bibles um, to Isaiah. Let's begin there. And we're going to read four passages, um, and then we're going to draw into Zechariah. We're going to read four passages in Isaiah and Jeremiah. And uh, so we'll start off in Isaiah chapter 11. They're going to be kind of repetitious, but I want to read all of them 
so that uh, we get the breadth of the prophetic utterance of both of these men as well as Zechariah. And then we're going to draw into Ezekiel if we have time tonight, which I may not. I might have to take a few more weeks than I thought, but I'm going to try. Here we go. Chapter 11. Let's begin with verse 11 of Isaiah. Here's what Isaiah was told. It shall come to pass in that day. What is that day? Well, that day, it says, when the root of Jesse, verse 10 says, the root of Jesse shall stand as a banner to the people, for the Gentiles shall seek him, and his resting place shall be glorious. So when is that going to happen? What is the evidence that that day when the resting place is glorious, Christ's resting place shall be glorious, we're referring to Jerusalem, when is that going to happen? It shall come to pass in that day, the Lord shall set his hand again the second time to recover the remnant of his people who are left from Assyria and Egypt, from Pathros and Cush, from Elam and Shinar, from Hamath and the islands of the sea. He will set up a banner for the nations and will assemble the outcasts of Israel and gather together the dispersed of Judah from the four corners of the earth. Wow. Keep reading. Also the envy of Ephraim shall depart and the adversaries of Judah shall be cut off. Ephraim shall not envy Judah and Judah shall not harass Ephraim. But they shall fly down upon the shoulder of the Philistines toward the west. They shall plunder the people of the east. They shall lay their hand on Edom and Moab and the people of Ammon shall obey them. The Lord will utterly destroy the tongue of the sea of Egypt with his mighty wind. He will shake his fist over the river and strike it in the seven streams and make men cross over dry shod. There shall be a highway for the remnant of his people who will be left from Assyria as it was for Israel in the day that he came up from the land of Egypt. And that's the key is we're going to keep going to this picture that what you're going to see right before Christ comes is going to be in breadth comparable to what Jesus did in bringing Israel out of Egypt. That Exodus. Remember the book of Exodus? What God did for Israel back then is going to be supplanted in greatness. What God's going to do for Israel in this last day is going to be greater than what He did for them there. There He took a few million people out of one country. This time, He's going to take millions and millions of them out of a host of countries, many of which hated the Jews, didn't want the Jewish nation to, uh, to rise up, and in fact did everything they could for quite a while to prohibit Jews from going back to Israel. And God comes in and intervenes. This is what He promised Israel would happen before He comes. Let's see it stated a couple other ways. Let's stay in Isaiah. Let's go to 43. Isaiah 43. Uh, we'll um, go to verse 5. Fear not, he says to Israel, for I am with you. I will bring your descendants from the east and gather you from the west. I will say to the north, give them up. And to the south, do not keep them back. Bring my sons from afar, my daughters from the ends of the earth. Everyone who is called by my name, whom I have created for my glory, I have formed him, yes, I have made him. So God has preserved for himself a people to gather. And he's going to take them from which direction? East, west, north, and south. The particularly difficult ones seem to be the north and the south. He's going to have to draw them out of there. Um, and we have actually seen that occur in our lifetime. And we're going to reference that here in a little bit. Let's go 
read a couple more. Okay, Jeremiah. I'm keeping my fingers in some of these because I want to keep referencing them. Jeremiah 23, we're just reading all the text together and then we'll look at a little bit of it. Jeremiah 23. Let's begin uh, reading in verse 6. Let's do that. In his days, Judah will be saved. Israel will dwell safely. Now this is his name by which he will be called the Lord our righteousness, referring to Jesus Christ. And so we have this prophecy that Jesus will come. Then we have this one, verse 7. Therefore, behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, that they shall no longer say, as the Lord lives who brought up the children of Israel from the land of Egypt. See that again? Same as what Isaiah was told. But as the Lord lives who brought up and led the descendants of the house of Israel from the north country and from all the countries where they, I had driven them, and they shall dwell in their own land. Okay? And so again, particularly out of the north, is going to be a hardship. It's going to be hard. God's going to have to do some very powerful things to get them out of the north particularly. But it's from all the countries where they had been driven. And that's the promise. God says every Israelite of any tribe is going to be able to be drawn to Israel and go to their own land. Uh, we're going to see how extensive that is in a little bit. Let's back up in Jeremiah chapter 16. Chapter 16 of Jeremiah. And again, a, a rep, little repetition, but that's okay. Verse 14. Jeremiah 16, 14. Therefore, behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, that it shall no more be said, the Lord lives who brought up the children of Israel from the land of Egypt. But the Lord lives who brought up the children of Israel from the land of the north, from the, all the lands where He driven them, for I'll bring them back to their lands which I gave to their fathers. Behold, I'll send many fishermen, I'll send for many fishermen, says the Lord, and they shall fish them. And afterwards I'll send for many hunters, and they shall hunt them from every mountain and every hill and out of the rocks. Oh, I'm sorry, out of the holes of the rocks. For my eyes are on all their ways. They are not hidden from me, nor is their iniquity hidden from my eyes. And first I'll repay double for their iniquity and their sin. So this is not a redeemed people he's, he's drawing together. Because they defiled my land, they have filled my inheritance with the carcasses of detestable, detestable and abominable idols. So we come to... This drawing. And to tell you that it's not a single act, but multiple acts over this period of time, Jeremiah is told, or, yeah, Jeremiah here is told, you know what, I'm going to send out fishermen. And we're going to fish for those Israelites. And we're going to try to get them out of the seas and the seas um, that are out there and wherever they are scattered all over the seas, the seven seas, we're going to go after them and find them. And then when those guys are done, we're going to go after them on land. And we're going to go after, we're going to send out hunters and they're going to turn over rocks looking for these. They're going to hunt up these Israelites and then they're going to gather in. And this great ingathering of God, this work of God to ingather Israel into their own land. Now, let's go to Zechariah, our last one before we um, talk a little bit about what all this, how this has all already occurred. Zechariah. One of the minor prophets towards the end of your Bible. If you find Malachi, just go back and you'll be there. Zechariah chapter 10. Here's what God promised. He just in verse 6 and 7 talked about Judah and Ephraim, the two northern and southern tribes. 
And he says, I will whistle for them and gather them, for I will redeem them, and they shall increase as they once increased. I will sow them among the peoples, and they shall remember me in far countries. They shall live together with their children. They shall return. I will also bring them back from the land of Egypt. I will gather them from Assyria. I will bring them into the land of of Gilead and Lebanon until no more room is found for them. This is the promise. Uh, He says, and and he's going to talk in verse 11. We're going to hit into that a little bit later on um, next week. He'll pass through the sea of the affliction, strike the waves of the sea. All the depths of the river shall dry up, and the pride of Assyria shall be brought down, and the scepter of Egypt shall depart. So I'll strengthen them in the Lord, and they shall walk up and down in His name. All right, so we have this portion of Scripture that, that here throughout the prophets, and there are others that are comparable but not as directly stated as this, and I'd rather just stick to the ones that are very clear and pointed. So there's no, you're twisting and bending it. Um, we have a difficulty in the Old Testament to distinguish between what is referred to as the, the, re, the return under Zerubbabel, under Nehemiah, uh, what return was promised there uh, versus the end times return. Uh, and uh, these very obviously are speaking about something that hasn't happened yet. The return under Zerubbabel and, and, Jer- and Nehemiah were not anything compared to this. They weren't from the east, north, south, west. They weren't of this scale. They weren't from all nations. And it just wasn't on this scale. So there's some future presentation of this that needs to occur. And of course, nowhere in there did you anywhere see there that there would be a nation called Israel. No. And when Israel became a nation in 1948, all Christianity got really excited. And a lot of people um, checked their calendar. Why? Because they believed that the, from the time Israel became a nation, in one generation, Christ would come. Wasn't that exciting? What was the problem? Did you read anywhere of the, in there of Israel becoming a nation? That when there's a nation on the map called Israel, that's the sign. No, that's called a pre-sign. In other words, it presages what God is about to do. There has to be a land of Israel for these things to occur, but the becoming a nation was not what the prophecy stated, was it? And so, I remember in 1988, it was a big, big, big deal. Because why? We're 40 years. Israel's been a nation 40 years. It's been a generation. Christ should be coming. And a lot of people made that prediction, 1988... And they built it off of the date that Israel became a nation, Independence Day in Israel, which is in the spring. Isn't it in the spring? We were there, right? Because we were there for Independence Day, and it's the day after Memorial Day. So the first day they are mourning all the guys that died for their country, and the next day they're celebrating what they died for. Kind of interesting there. And uh, so everyone got excited. 1988 came and went. No Christ. Oh, well, maybe a generation is 70 years. Okay, that takes us to 2008. No, 2018, sorry. 2018. Maybe a generation is 70 years. So that takes us to 2018. And so we just keep manipulating the numbers as time goes by. The problem is, is that we didn't, weren't careful in our use of Scripture. What does Scripture say begins the count? 
When do we start getting real, real excited? When the pre-sign happens or when the sign happens? Okay, now if I'm driving to New York and I see a sign that says St. Louis, am I excited? Well, I've made progress, but does the sign say New York? No, i got a long ways to go still. Okay, so the sign that we are told was that Israel is going to be gathered from all the nations. Do you see it there? North, south, east, west. They have to come from all nations. Wherever God scattered them, He would whistle them in. He would send out the fishermen, the, the hunters. He would, he would find them wherever they were, and He would bring them into their own land. And to the point that there would be no more room for them. They're going to overflow their borders. They're going to be building and building and building and building. They just can't keep up with all the hundreds of thousands of people coming in. Ten years ago, which is the last numbers I had available to me, right? I didn't go online or anything that I had. I had a 10-year-old pamphlet. Um, And so ten years ago, they were still getting over 300,000 immigrants a year into Israel. Settle that in your thinking a little bit of trying to place 300,000 people in those couple years there. They were flooding in. Where were they coming from? And there's two particular ones that are very interesting how it came to be. Remember the prophecy said that I'm going to have to speak specifically to a north, to the north country, to say, give them up. And I'm going to speak specifically to the south country, don't hold them back. And it's fascinating in the history of the 90s that two places, one to the north and one to the south, both um, were considered strongholds that Jews would never get out of. And one of those was the Soviet Union. The other one, believe it or not, is Ethiopia. Never heard of that, did you? But there was a large contingency of Ethiopian Jews who were there and they were being held back. They couldn't get out and... uh, uh, being maltreated. Um, and in the 1990s, both places opened up. And they were evacuated out of Ethiopia. Um, the Israelis sent airplanes in there to evacuate them, thousands of them, out in a few hours, as soon as they got permission to go in there. So when do we set our clock? when we see the prophecy coming about. And I would contend that that, this prophecy could not have been fulfilled or even begun to be fulfilled until the fall of the Soviet Union. Until every Jew from all over the world who is going to migrate or wants to migrate to Israel has opportunity to do so, the liberty to do so, and that God literally yanks them out of the north yanks them out of the south and draws them in. It also makes another statement that, well, I'll get to that in a second. My time is going really fast. I'm committed to being done in seven minutes. Um, And so Israel gathered from the nations. We have seen it. And so when do I start my calendar watch? That this generation is the one God's dealing with. In other words, not this generation of us, this generation of Israel, God is dealing with. This is the one 
that he is pulling out of the nations, that he is gathering to himself in Israel, that group are the ones God is going to do something great with. They're going to have some trouble. Oh, they're going to have some big trouble. But it is out of that ingathered group that God is going to work in the end times with through this man of sin who's going to make a covenant with them. And so this covenant has something to do with them overflowing. There's no room for them. They're overflowing their borders. They're everywhere. There's just immigrants everywhere. Uh, we were there and we went down to Elat and we left uh, the, the tour group. And so we went down there just on our own as a side excursion. And so we were the only Americans around really. And uh, so we're walking along the beaches of Elat and in uh, Israel at the north end of the Gulf of Aqaba. And we're walking up and down and you only heard two languages. Right? We only heard two languages. We heard Hebrew and we heard Russian. All we heard on the beaches, the signs were in Hebrew and Russian. Because those were the newest immigrants. And they were still learning their Hebrew. And so they were accommodating that group and because uh, that's where the latest ones were coming from. And so this in-gathering This generation, when do we start that clock? It doesn't start until this prophecy. They're going to come out of the north, they're going to come out of the south, they're coming out of the east, they're coming out of the west. And in this day, in these days, since 19... Well, we could start at 89, but I prefer about 94, when it was really released that they could go. um, We can start saying that's the generation that God has something in store for them. That's... We know that this is the group that God is going to be at work with, that the man of sin is going to make a covenant with, that's going to be broken, that they're going to be hunted, and that they're going to have to turn to Jesus as a a national act of repentance. That group. Well, is there something along the way in there that tells us that, that this is the event, that we're not making this up? Well, if you remember one prophecy, it said there's a specific group of people that Israel would conquer. That Israel, first of all, no one can stand against her, really, but there's one particular group. Do you remember when we read that? It said, Ammon, or the people of Ammon. It says, Moab, Edom, and the people of Ammon. Uh, I think that was Isaiah 11, wasn't it? I didn't mark down which one that was. Yep. Isaiah chapter 11, verse 14, they shall fly down upon the shoulder of the Philistine, uh, and that's the Gaza Strip, by the way, toward the west. Together they shall plunder the people of the east. Uh, They shall lay their hand on Edom, Moab, and Ammon, and they will obey them. All right, when you read Edom, Moab, and Ammon, the people of Ammon, um, and this is also in Daniel, the same group of people are clustered together. And only... Again, only since World War II has these people been clustered together. And they're called the nation of Jordan. And they are comprised of Moab, Edom, and the prominent people of Ammon. Alright, that's the nation of Jordan. And Jordan was given the West Bank and Jerusalem. Israel comes in, Israel was promised Jerusalem... It says they're going to fly in upon them, and even now you go there, and the Israelites love their paratroopers. They are the heroes of heroes in Israel, are the paratroopers. And they paratrooped into Jerusalem 
and took it from Jordan all the way to the Jordan River. And King Hussein, whose son now is King Hussein, his father made a peace treaty with Israel. Very powerful statement. No one else in the Arab world would do that. Even today, American maps don't have what Jordanian maps have, and that is that the West Bank is undisputed territory. It belongs to Israel. Jordan, as a nation, has obeyed Israel. Given her Jerusalem as her capital, although our president doesn't know that, given Israel, the West Bank, although none of our American maps show that, it's always dashed, even in our Bibles. Shame on us. That prophecy has been fulfilled in my lifetime. We live with this already having occurred. That this group of called Jordan is going to obey Israel. That the Gaza Strip will be under the control of Israel. And then it goes on in verse 15 and talks about the tongue of the Sea of Egypt. And we're going to talk a little bit about that and the, the destruction of the Euphrates River to that people can even walk over dry shot. He's going to dry that up. We're still there. So you might say, where are we in this passage? We are right between 14 and 15. How close is this to coming? God says in that day. In that day. In this period of time, a very short period of time, remember a week was seven years, in that day, um, and I, I'm not going to say that's a, a day, a week, a year, because obviously it's been more than a year since the treaty with Jordan. But in that short period of time, in that, when you see these things happen, know, know God is ready to finish the job with Israel and bring in the millennial kingdom. So we have seen this occur in the last 50 years. In the last 30, we have seen the ingathering from all the nations. And right now, there, as far as I understand, um, the only place that Israelites can't get out of if they're there um, is Iran. And allowed in Saudi Arabia, uh, they can get out of Egypt, but Iran is about it. We're in an exciting time. All these prophecies of the ingathering are the signal. Not Israel become a nation on a map, but rather Israel becoming populated, overpopulated. We're going to look next week at the next section about Israel, and that's referring to God's restored blessings upon her and the renewal of the land. And we're going to look at that next week and the prophecies about that. Um, one of the difficulties with some of these, again, like I said, is is to, 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 to separate which ones are talking about before Christ comes and which ones are talking about the millennial kingdom. And we're going to give you a guide to help you in that next week. But here we have these statements given to the prophets of old before Jesus' day saying that 
when God is ready to conclude his work with Israel in terms of fulfilling all the promises, you're going to see this kind of activity, this in gathering, and we are seeing it. And so when you hear the unrest in Israel, it's because there's no, not enough room for them all. And they keep building more buildings to house them all. And that's what's causing the unrest. And so when our government and then the UN goes to them and says, you're not allowed to build in your own country anymore, where do they expect to put all these people? And so that's all these settlements that you hear about, Jewish settlements, are immigrants who are coming from all over the world to that little nation and filling it up. And that is when you set your calendar. And God says, I'm going to whistle them in from everywhere. And it's going to be a process. I'm going to ask some fishermen, I'm going to send hunters. I'm, it's going to be a little bit of a process. But when it's all done, I will have gathered more into Israel this time than I did out of Egypt that time. And the people are going to say, bless the Lord. And Israel is going to enjoy this in gathering season. And it's not just about getting together. We're going to talk about how desolate the land was when they were going to get here. God declared that. But then he said, as soon as you arrive, I will bless it again. Are we seeing that? And so we're going to talk about that next week.